Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the Food Fan, here at Food Fan Headquarters with another exciting episode of Asheville Food Fans. It is a podcast that I do throughout the week, and then I string it together for broadcast on WPVM 103.7 FM, the progressive voice of the mountains, here in beautiful Asheville, Western North Carolina. Community Selling Practice. Just want to call the lab results and um, talk to you about your cholesterol. 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 Still pretty high. It was down to 187 LDL at last visit. This is all still really high with the goal of 100. And now it's up to 205, 205, 205. Total is 275, so it's kind of about 10 points, 10 points, 10 points, 10 points. Your blood sugar is also slightly elevated at 107. I'm not terribly worried about I'm not really worried about diabetes. I'm keeping an eye on diabetes. All right, I'll look forward to talking to you later. Thanks a lot. All right, everybody, this is Stu Helm, the food fan here at Food Fan Headquarters. And as you may have guessed from the dramatic introduction, I got some bad news this week. I got a call from my general practitioner, my nurse practitioner, and she delivered the bad news. Uh, my cholesterol is, uh, it sounds like it's more than double what she would like it to be. I have no idea what my cholesterol level should be. That's not the kind of thing I like to even think about. Although I guess I should. And uh, while that is bad news, there are some options. And I've known this for a while, although I haven't had a checkup since last year. Um, And so I was kind of hoping that maybe some magic had happened in the meantime, and I no longer had high cholesterol. Uh, But opposite has happened, and it's higher than ever. So... What you going to do about that? Well, you maybe get on some Lipitor or something. And doctors really gave me the best sales pitch I've ever had for any medicine. She said, you can, you should feel great about taking Lipitor. You take it and then you can eat whatever you want. You don't have to worry about it. Because the other way I could fight the high cholesterol is I could try to alter my diet. And uh, so this this is why this is not such a surprise that I get this diagnosis of High cholesterol is because of my diet. I, um, the doctor, the nurse practitioner, rather, she actually acknowledges that I have an occupational hazard as a food writer in the South. Uh, now, I'm not ever going to be a vegan food writer or a vegetarian food writer or somebody who specializes in salads or anything like that. I'm always going to be me, uh, at least until the day I clutch my heart and tip over. And then maybe if I make it out of that situation, maybe I'll change my diet at that point. But in the meantime, I took Lipitor last year, but unfortunately I suffered one of the common side effects, which is achy legs. Like my legs would ache when I walked and you all know I walk a lot. It's what I do for a living and it's how I get from point A to point B. Although I just Got my e-bike and the weather's nice, so I've been riding that a little more. But even that requires legs because you got to pedal the thing. So my legs feeling good, that's important to me. And if I'm not walking, I'm not 
healthy anyways. Like the walking is my main exercise. And so I wasn't into the Lipitor. I got back off it. My cholesterol spiked again, and it looks like it's just risen over the last 12 months. And while you don't necessarily care about that, uh, and neither do I in some ways, I'm from New England, so I've always been sort of pondering my own death since the day I was born. That's what people in New England do. And uh, so I don't mind that much, but turns out my uh, there are people who love me and don't want me to have a stroke or a heart attack. So you will watch me sort of struggle with this over the next months. I'm going to try to get on some other drug that maybe my legs won't ache as much. And I might try to alter my diet a little bit. But I heard from a vegan today that she, with an entirely cholesterol-free diet, she still has super high cholesterol, and that is genetic. So I don't know. Might might not be able to solve my problems with diet. And I also was like, you know, online, I was like, eh, I got high cholesterol past the avocados. And a guy got on, and he gave me a hard time about avocados, which apparently are very non-sustainable and i didn't know that apparently the drug cartels control the avocado production i'm gonna have to look into that a little bit and see what's up with that but he he apologized for giving me a guilt trip and then he gave me a guilt trip and said you know like don't depend on avocados if you want to feel good about the world and so, and be, and the reason I bring up avocados is because they will actually lower your cholesterol. It's not that they just don't have cholesterol. They lower your cholesterol. And there are other foods as well. Everybody is telling me, eat oatmeal. And um, in some ways, and I mean this in all seriousness, I'd rather die. Of course, I'm kidding. I uh, Oatmeal, are you kidding me? The only way to make oatmeal good is if you pour some sort of heavy cream on it and a big old pat of butter and maybe some pork belly and then just like an ice cream scoop of salted caramel vanilla ice cream. Um, and that is the only possible way that I am going to enjoy eating oatmeal every day, which is what people are recommending. Oh, just eat oatmeal every day and your cholesterol will come down. Um, yeah, no, like that would last about maybe a week for me. And then I'd be like, God, I hate oatmeal. I can't, I can't eat the same thing every day, folks, no matter what it is. The only food I can consume every day is coffee. And unfortunately, I put half and half in my coffee. So even that is contributing to my high cholesterol. And Don, my spouse, I, I'm getting used to not calling her my girlfriend. We have been together 18 years. We got married uh, just last January. And so uh, just my my spouse, Don, she says, oh, put oat milk in your coffee. And I, I do that sometimes when I run out of half and half and oat milk is the only thing in the house. And it's okay the first couple of times, but it's a week. It's not uh, it's not half and half. Come on, folks. Half and half is like the greatest thing on earth. I would chug it by the gallon if not for the rules of society. And I have indeed put half and half on my cereal. Although I have to say, I have to say right now that I do prefer oat milk on my cereal. And right now I'm 
doing my job of consuming an entire half gallon of oat milk that Dawn left behind that will go bad while she's out of town. So it's up to me to drink this oat milk. So I'm doing it on cereal rather than in my coffee. The point of this long story is I'm never going to give up half and half, I don't think. I mean, bury me with a half gallon of it, please. Um, and so it seems like drugs are the trick for me. I'm going to find the drug that can cure my high cholesterol. And then according to the doctor, I can eat pork belly birthday cake every day of the year. Those are my words, not hers. And once again, I keep calling her my doctor. She is my nurse practitioner. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, hopefully I'll take care of this cholesterol thing and um, I'll be doing better in the future and I will not die uh, yet. Uh, eventually, eventually I'm going to die. I'm, I feel it. I can feel it in my bones that one day I'm going to be dead. Um, all right, folks. Well, I've got a great show for you this week. I have some interviews uh coming right up uh, that are with some folks who worked with a person named James Chiron. And James was a person who worked in the food industry as many roles in the food industry, as we'll hear. And he was struck by a car and it seems like he was struck intentionally by this car. And the person who struck him is at large is wanted by the police and is wanted for second-degree murder, along with other charges. James was in the hospital, and he passed away, and I wanted to honor him and hear some stories about him. I knew him just a little bit. I wish I knew him a little better, but I knew him from running into him in restaurants and on the street, and he was an enthusiastic fan of food. He was only 28 years old, and it's a real tragedy that he was taken from our scene, our city, his friends and his family by what appears to be a malicious act. He was, James was riding his bike, by the way, and he got struck by a car. So we'll hear interviews with some of his friends and coworkers a little bit later in the show. And also I took a road trip out to Black Mountain where on a happier note, I had a really wonderful pizza and they had a, non-alcoholic beverage well don enjoyed a alcoholic beverage at uh oak and grist and i'll play a little outdoor interview that i did with the woman making the pizza and then i'll come back and review the pizza and at the end of the show i'll have some more reviews of some food that i've eaten lately so please stay tuned for that and now on with the show Hey, everybody. It's me, Stu Helm. I'm out here in Black Mountain at the Oak and Grist Distilling Company. And I'm talking to Brittany Croyer, who has a pop-up company called Mother Pizza. Hey, Brittany. How are you? Hey, good. How are you? I'm doing great. Your little pizza oven is so cute. Can you tell me about it? Yeah, it's a Gozni Dome. It's a pizza oven out of England. Um, they started selling to the U.S. about a year and a half ago, and uh, it is wood-fired and propane-fired, and it cooks pizzas in 90 seconds, so it's kind of perfect. 90 seconds? Dang, that's a quick pizza. Yeah. And uh, you've been doing it for about a year, you say? About a year, yep. I started last year, about this time. It was really cold, and then went through the summer and starting up again now, so... 
And you've got a following out here in Black Mountain? I do, yeah. A lot of people have been coming out and coming back out, so it's been really cool to see. And in a couple of words, can you tell us what makes your pizza so special? Oh, uh, local ingredients, local person, uh, care and love. Care and love, the magic ingredients in any business plan. Um, so we're, we, Don and I ordered, I think, a pepperoni pizza? I'm not sure Margarita. which. Margarita. Okay, we're excited to try that. All right, Brittany, I'll let you get back to it. Do you have a website or social media you want to tell people about? I do, yeah. It's uh, motherspizzanc.com. Okay. All right, and we'll follow you there. Thanks for talking with us. So the pizza that we got from Mother's Pizza, and in the interview I did misstate that it was Mother Pizza, but that's erroneous. It's Mother's, apostrophe S, possessive. Mother's Pizza. Uh, It was great, man. It was totally artisanal style, all misshapen and kind of burnt on the edges. I like my food to be slightly... I like burnt food a little bit. I mean, like, don't burn my toast black or anything, but I, I don't mind a little char on my pizza crust. And uh, it was just delicious. A very uh, simple, like, basic margarita pizza with a simple tomato sauce. Not not a pizza sauce, per se, just some tomatoes and some fresh mozzarella. And the the white lady was... Really, really good too. Very savory and salty, and it tasted like fun fontina cheese. Am I getting that right? I'm terrible at getting things right. Uh, but both pizzas were great. The drinks that Don and I had were very good. They were very pretty. I posted pictures on Facebook, so take a look at those. And uh, the hers had uh, the hers had gin in it. And mine did not. Mine was a non-alcoholic beverage, and it was quite delicious. And uh, so that was at the Oak and Grist Distillery in Black Mountain and Mother's Pizza. So get on out there and get you some of that pizza. The next segment is made up of three interviews I did with three folks who worked with James Chiron, who was struck and killed by a car while he was riding his bicycle in downtown Asheville. And it was a big loss to the food community and and a real tragedy, a young person of 28 years old. So let's listen to what some of his friends and co-workers had to say about James, who was well-regarded in our local food scene. All right, folks, uh, my next guest worked with James at the Blackbird restaurant for six or seven years. Her name is Ivy Lamus, and she was kind enough to come on here and talk to us a little bit about her time that she spent with James and maybe tell us a story about James while she's here. Hi, Ivy. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Stu. Thank you for having me, and thank you for honoring James in this way. Sure thing. It's real tragic. Um, terrible story. I might even get emotional. <laughs> I'll try not to. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you, you worked with James at the Blackbird. First of all, tell us a little bit about the Blackbird. So the Blackbird is a restaurant that has been in downtown Asheville for over 10 years now. Um, chef Mike has been the chef there for um, I think it's been four or five years now. Um, maybe even more than that, actually. Um, don't quote me on that, but um, okay. yeah, you know, we're farm to table where our focus is on local foods and supporting, you know, local farmers and local vendors and providing the freshest 
you know, food that Appalachia has to offer. <laughs> yeah, that's a great description. Um, I always say it's it's the restaurant where I was eating lunch when a farmer walked in the front door with some fresh produce to show Chef Mike. It was it was like the most blatant example of farm to table I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's great. It's one of my favorite things about being in the food industry here. It's just the local connections. For sure. Um, so let's talk about James. He worked at Blackbird in what capacity over the years? So he started uh, mostly doing dish and bus. And um, that's mostly what he did coming and, coming and going. He did do some cooking here and there and some prepping. Um, James was, you know, an eccentric character and he had a hard time focusing sometimes and would be a little difficult to work with. So it was hard to get him to focus sometimes and do you know, do the things that he really wanted to do, which was cook. But, you know, recently he had been cooking more and, um, you know, he had branched away from the Blackbird and kind of grown a little bit and, you know, started to cook more on his own and was cooking with Paul. And um, yeah, I know that was something that he's really proud of. And some of my fondest memories of him are him making food for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> just personally making you some food for lunch, something like that. You know, James was a super sweet guy. Um, I think he was a little misunderstood sometimes, but if you were able to connect with him and, you know, he trusted you and you were, you had a mutual respect, he was one of the most uh, loyal people that I've ever met. And, um, he would always, you know, check in with me and see how I was doing and ask me if I was hungry because he just wanted to cook. He wanted to cook for people. He loved that. He loved making people happy with that. And, um, he would make some amazing stuff sometimes. Yeah. I was always really impressed with it. Yeah. Can you recall a specific thing or or two he, that he made one for of the you? last one of the last dishes he made for me when he was still working at the Blackbird was um was a was a chicken dish. It was just some fried chicken and um it was tossed in some kind of like Asian sesame sauce and he had some bulgur wheat salad on the side and it was just super fresh and I was just like James like if you could just focus and, you know, you could be so amazing and be such a, you know, you could be a chef, you know, but um, yeah. he had, he had potential and that's what it was really sad to see. Cause I know he was, he was growing recently and was doing a lot and um, he had a lot of, a lot of hope and promise. So yeah. Sad to see that. Support. Everybody who knows James uses the same words to describe him, that he was a sweet person and that he was uh nice, a nice guy. Like I, I knew James uh from you know going in and out of restaurants. He recognized me, he introduced himself at he one knew point. everybody. <laughs> yeah. He was always a friendly person to me and would come over across the street to talk to me. And he always seemed very enthusiastic about food uh-huh. and the food scene. So I appreciated that, especially, you know, in the early days coming from a dishwasher who you know, you might not think a dishwasher necessarily is all that interested in the food scene yeah. or just working a job, but James really wanted that trajectory on his way up. He did. And, you know, I'm sure lots of people know this, but Anthony Bourdain was like his hero and um, he would quote him all the time. So he just, he had that same passion for food and traveling too and people. Um, one of my other favorite stories is just the effect that he had on my my husband and my my daughter who barely saw him, you know, but they've seen him in passing many times over the years. And he would always ask about them. Um, you know, my daughter's only 14 and um, she doesn't always feel super comfortable with some of the older guys in the kitchen, but he would always come to her and like make her feel comfortable and ask her how she was doing. And it hurt, his death really affected even her. 
And I think that's what's so profound about this is all the amount of people that have been affected by his passing. Um, There's so many people in Asheville that knew him and loved him. And um, yeah, he's just, it's a huge loss. And it's just so shocking too. The man. Yeah. Uh, Very shocking. Very sad. Um, I'm glad that he has this legacy of goodwill that he's left behind him. And obviously a lot of friends along the way, Uh, whether casual friends such as myself or work friends such as you, or I know that he had a lot of friends after work too. He had a huge family as well too. So it's a big loss all all around for many, many people. So, yeah, well, I really want to thank you for coming on and telling us a few stories about James. And um, I know that I know that you'll personally miss him. I will. And I, I like I said, I really appreciate it that you asking me. It was, it was an honor to, to, to talk about, about James. Well, thanks. I, I have some other guests lined up to tell some stories too. So should be a nice little All right. segment. All right, Thank you, Ivy. Steve. Thank you again. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right, folks. And next I have Chef Sean Ashbridge. And Sean worked with James at the Blackbird. And he actually knew James outside of work as well and knew him before James started at the Blackbird. Thanks for being with us today, Sean. I appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So how long did you work with James? Ooh, uh, about two years, I'd say. Okay. And you knew him from the Yacht Club, where I, I understand his nickname was Juicebox. Yeah, so uh, that's actually how he introduced himself to me the first time I ever met him. Um, uh-huh. Was, yeah, hi, I'm Juicebox, uh, you know, and just, just went on from there. But I actually later found out that he, he actually didn't like being called Juicebox, even oh. though he... Uh, introduced himself as that so interesting all right <laughs> well but uh i guess it was a nickname that he'd had for a very long time so okay do you know the origin of it by chance i do not however um there were uh at the memorial that was created by um his family his his mom and sister left juice boxes uh capri tons there for him so i assume it has something to do with the fact that he probably loved juice box he enjoyed a good juice box well yeah, absolutely totally noted that it wasn't his favorite nickname but um i do like <laughs> the fact that you know his mom and sister left those there where is that memorial um so it was originally on grove street um where the incident happened i believe the last when i passed by the other day um the bicycle that he used to ride it was painted white um is in the 27 club parking lot i believe okay where he was also a very frequent flyer of so it's uh pretty nice that it got left there yeah you know i'm i'm wondering if the bike is being picked up and dropped off at different locations because i first noticed the bike at the bottom of charlotte street where it was propped up against the transformer and i passed by it on my way home from work a couple of times and it wasn't the first time I didn't really know, I just thought it was a piece of art. And the second time I was like, oh, it says ride in peace on the uh, crossbar. And so, yeah, it was kind of, uh, you know, it's a nice memorial to a bike rider. I understand he rode his bike all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I I don't know how many times he had to get that bike fixed, but uh, he definitely 
literally would ride it till the wheels fall off. So yeah, yeah. Um, do you, do you have any stories about James? Um, so, I mean, granted, like, um, there was a time that he he left the Blackbird actually, um, and he was riding his bike like he always did, and he actually um, he got hit by a car uh, leaving that parking garage right there. So I think that was one of the one of the things that you know everyone was like when when the situation happened that you know it wasn't the first time that he'd gotten hit on his bike um so you know when i was first told about everything i just, i thought it was just a normal like a normal thing for him almost um right but I'm trying to think yeah. of like specific stories there's just so many i mean yeah he, he never he didn't take anything too seriously ever I mean, I don't really know any time that he was ever like really upset. Um, you know, that's just the type of person he was and that kind of think of always thought of him as that, you know, like almost uh annoying little brother that you had. Um, that always just, you know, wanted to be a part of, you know, whatever was going on. And um, you know, that that's something that was was really hard for me is that you know everyone at the blackbird we all kind of took him under our wing um mm-hmm. and just like the the passion that he had for food and the knowledge that he even had um was just crazy you know we always thought that you know if he if he took it seriously that he would have been a great chef um so you know i i don't Specifically, have any stories like I said? Because there's just so many, and my my brain would be. <laughs> That's I tried okay. to think of it when you asked me last night. I was like, you know, should I, should I write something down, or should I have something prepared? But I was like, that, that doesn't even do it justice, you know. Yeah. That's just just how he was in general. Um, yeah, he certainly leaves behind a lot of good feelings uh, in the food scene. <clears throat> it yeah. seems like everybody really thought of him as a sweet person and a nice person and somebody who was um, finding themselves kind of, he was 28 and uh, I heard uh, Ivy was saying he was finally starting to cook more, which was really his passion and that he started at Blackbird as a dishwasher. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so I, I mean, he, yeah, I mean, he was just like um, a lot of us, you know, 20, 20 some year olds to, even people that, you know, are older than myself and stuff, he was very into like Anthony Bourdain um, and just kind of his whole lifestyle of traveling and feel good food. And, um, you know, that I think that like he really symbolized like what whatever like he was trying to like Anthony Bourdain's whole message of, you know, traveling and just interacting with people and all that. And that was something that he took very seriously the last post he made on facebook was about anthony bourdain i mean the last thing that he had sent me on facebook was trying to go do a pop-up so yeah that was tough because the day that it happened uh, i was just super busy and i hadn't got a chance to message him back and then everything happened so sure well 
there's a lot going on in the town and it's hard to keep up with all of it and pop-ups among those things. And it was just nice that he was able to sort of do some of the cooking that he wanted to do with his life. And at 28 years old, I, sh- I sure didn't have my act together. Oh, no. I'm not sure I do now. <laughs> yeah, so, but you yeah, know, he, he got a chance to work so many different places around town. Um, you know, like I said, I don't think there is a single, um, you know, restaurant around here that he wasn't somehow um, attached to or associated with. Yeah. Uh, in addition to cooking in the kitchens and wa- washing dishes and doing other work and in the restaurants, he was a fan of food. And he, if something sounded or looked good to him, he'd go eat it. And yeah. <laughs> that's how I know him is just him seeing me on the street or recognizing me and starting to talk to me about food. So, yeah. He was passionate about that stuff, and it's definitely a big loss to our community, and I really appreciate you among his friends coming on and talking to us about him and saying a little something about James. Yeah, it would be greatly missed. Yeah. All right, Sean. Well, I'll let you go. Thank you again for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Sure thing. All right, everybody. Next up, I have uh, Chef Paul Crescent from Polly Boy Enterprises. And Chef Paul worked with James. And again, we're talking to friends and co-workers of James Chiron, who was unfortunately struck and killed while riding his bike. And it's it was a hit and run. It seemed intentional, according to the cameras and the witnesses. And the person who struck James is currently at large and wanted for second-degree murder, along with other charges. And uh, Paul, um, thank you for joining us today. And I understand that you knew James for a couple of years and that you had worked with him both at Blackbird and on some of your own pop-ups. So when did you meet James? Uh, I met him in 2021, probably the late spring, early summer at Blackbird Restaurant. I was hired by Chef Mike to uh, do like a temp job. I was working in the kitchen with him for a couple of weeks before I went out on my own to do my first uh, private chef uh, event, which was actually like a a six-day yoga retreat (laughs) in Hot Springs, but uh, not really an event, but more of a a week-long getaway type thing. So uh, I met James there. He was was running around the kitchen. He was always there. Every time I was there, he was there. Uh, He was... I wasn't sure exactly what position he was doing because he was just everywhere doing uh-huh. a little bit of everything. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I spoke with Ivy Lamus, who is one of the managers at Blackbird, yeah. and she said he really did. He started just as a dishwasher and bussing tables, but when they needed him to do prep work and stuff, he would do that. Yeah. And and that his ambition really was to cook. Like that was his goal. And according to, I also spoke with Chef Sean Ashbridge and he said that that was a real passion for for James. And um, so yeah. talk about the last time you saw him, the last time you worked together. Okay. Um, February 25th, a uh, couple of weeks ago, or almost a month ago, I guess, uh, Saturday night, uh, I was doing a pop-up at Citizen Vinyl, and uh, it was a big event, a lot of people, and I asked him if he wanted to help me out. He said, sure, yeah. So he uh, he came along, and um, between now 
and 2021, we weren't really like close, close friends, but we always kept in touch. There was a lot of texting going on, a lot of messaging, and he knew pretty much all of my uh, background. He knew my resume, I guess, uh, or most of it, and uh, a lot of my involvement with the extracurricular stuff I do, like Ben's friends and uh, the non-drinking uh, part of uh being a chef that doesn't drink and that sort of thing in the industry. So I think it sparked some interest in him. And uh, also I always talked about Anthony Bourdain and he had a really, a really, really uh, strong emotional kind of uh, fondness, I guess, for Anthony Bourdain and the job and the journalism and how intertwined with uh, culinary and restaurant and hospitality industry work. Uh, I think, James wanted to, you know, he wanted to live that life, I think. Uh, and, and, you know, he wanted to learn uh, as much as he could. So uh, I said, come along, you know, uh, you can help me out. Um, I'll definitely pay you for your time. It's probably going to be about three hours. And I showed him how everything went. And as the night went on, people ordered food. Um, I pretty much let him do everything. And I, you know, after I showed him he was interested. He wanted to learn if he was making a little mistake, I would stop him. I correct it. He wouldn't make that mistake again. He seemed passionate. Um, and he was always, you know, really, uh, like you said, he was ambitious. He definitely, um, he never looked at me. Like sometimes he just looked at you, you know, he was the kind of guy, if you had more experience than him. Um, he kind of looked at you <laughs> and sometimes like, what do I do now? <laughs> you know, uh -huh. uh, what do you need? What do you need me to do? Like, you know, Give me something. Give me something. And That's so, great. Yeah, yeah. And the cool thing is, I mean, I think I'm thinking he was in his mid twenties. Yeah. Uh, he was 28. So that, okay, okay. So I'm almost, <laughs> I'm almost twice his age. Okay. Um, and it reminded me, hanging out with him and talking with him, the way he talked and the way that he he worked. Uh, it reminded me of myself at that age and at that point in my career where I was, you know, gung-ho, uh, ambitious, tenacious. Uh, I have some other things I could say. It's just, he was like, <laughs> you know, he, he wanted to kick down some doors. Um, uh -huh. And, you know, some people, I don't know, some people, a lot of people know him better than I do, but I can only say what I know about him because of the way that we talked in private and how we were when we were, same place, same time. Uh -huh. So um, he might, you know, he might be different or different people. I know you had, he has, he was quite opinionated about some people in town, some people in the <laughs> restaurant business and some people in the industry, uh, you know, <laughs> see, yeah. I can't remember exactly what he would say, but he would say, you know, he would say some things that just, you know, kind of catch you off guard. He's like, how do you know all that? You know, but yeah. So, well, he's he been worked. part of the scene for a long, long time, or a relatively long time, I should say. And I would see him all over the place, and he always seemed very interested in the whole food scene. And when I saw that you and he had done a pop-up together, or that he had worked for you at one of your pop-ups, um, that didn't surprise me. I kind of said, oh, that's a good fit for James, uh, from what I know from him. Because one thing that people should know about you, Paul, is that with your your Polyboy Enterprises, you've really made your own life. Like you've untethered yourself from any corporate world or private ownership world. 
and you you're the ultimate gig worker in a lot of ways and you have really like made your own path in life from my point of view and i felt like i feel like james was the kind of person who also through desire or necessity would also need to make his own path in life yeah yeah and there was also some things earlier uh past or like last year he was he was dabbling in he was really interested in the pop-up scene and how to do that and i know he didn't have the experience and he didn't have the kitchen experience as well to to actually pull off some of the things that other people are doing or some of the stuff that i'm doing but he was starting he was actually getting his foot in the door and uh he was like doing like a little hot dog pop-up at a, at a at a bar like on sundays a couple of months back you know and they were letting him do stuff and he was like making his own condiments for the hot dogs and stuff like that you know and i went That's by awesome. there one day it's, you know he had a lot of people out there and he was just out there you know drinking a beer grilling dogs and having a good time in the parking lot and i was like all right it's like it's like i'm proud of you man i'm glad to see you doing this he's like you know so if you need any help, call me and I can, you know, I can help you. I'll help try and help you any way I can. And, yeah. Uh, so that's kind of what kept our conversation going. Yeah. That common, it sounded like you had commonalities in that he was <laughs> like sort of a younger Polly himself uh, in <laughs> that, a way that. like doing, I love it. I didn't know he was doing a hot dog pop-up. You know, I love hot dogs. Wow. And yeah. I, I did a hot dog pop up myself, so I didn't know I had that in common with James. And that's right. Yeah, what a guy. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. seems like just everybody who knew him, uh, like everybody I've talked to, Paul has actually said the same stuff about him. It's not like he was yeah. a different person for different people. Uh, and I'm sure we all have yeah. people around town we don't like and stuff like that, but. Everybody I've talked to so far, for one thing, has mentioned that love of Anthony Bourdain. Every single person has brought that up. <laughs> yeah. And uh and to the to a person, they've all said that he was ambitious and hardworking and wanted to learn and do things with his life. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Paul. Well, thanks for coming on, talking about James, telling a few stories about him. I really appreciate you for doing that. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me on, man. I'm glad I could be here anytime. Thanks, Paul. Well, I want to thank my three guests for coming on and talking about James and their experiences with him and their thoughts about him. And I think I'll try to have more people come on and talk about James. We'll see who's who's willing. You know, not everybody wants to do that because it's a personal, private thing. But I think that I would like to continue to talk about him for a couple more shows if I can round up some interviews. But thank you, Ivy and Sean and Chef Polly, Chef Sean and Chef Polly, for being, for coming on and talking about this real sweet person who was taken from us again by what looks like a malicious act. And so please get online, read about it. The name and picture of the person who they're looking for is online. And if you know anything about this person, please contact the police and turn them in. So there was one of those days 
last week when Lucho and I went to two tastings in one day, or more like two events. They weren't quite tastings. But you know how sometimes my friend Lucho from Asheville Multicultural and I will get locked into multiple food commitments in one day and then by the end of the day we're just dying right like we're just gonna explode at that point but and that kind of happened but we kept it i tamped it down a little bit i didn't go totally hog wild we went to the wahiro food truck opening down by riverside drive uh at the uh in one of the I can't remember the, is it Phil Mechanic? I think maybe in the Phil Mechanic studios. Uh, look that up. Wahiro. It's G-U-A-J-I-R-O, I believe. Uh, I don't have that written down right in front of me. But we went to, the, it's a food truck, and it's a Cuban food truck. And that word is a name for a Cuban farmer. And uh, so it's like uh, named after the, owner's grandfather i believe not either his father or his grandfather and uh, i believe his grandfather who was a farmer in cuba and so the food is cuban sandwiches of a couple of different varieties and then some cuban dishes that consist of like rice with pulled pork and pickled onion and stuff like that and flan which was excellent. It was very rich and creamy, very sweet. There was some that had coconut on top. And while that was delicious, it was very, really sweet. And the regular flan was excellent, sweet enough for me. And it was great. It was great. I really liked it. And uh, I got um, a Cuban hamburger. Who knew that there was such a thing? And it's not just a burger with like pork and ham on it, like a Cuban sandwich. It's got chorizo ground up in the burger meat and something else in there too. And it's kind of yellowish in color, like almost curry colored, but it didn't have a curry flavor and it had cheese and it was really good. I enjoyed it. It was very tasty. And if I was uh, down there in the River Arts District at the Phil Mechanic or driving by on my way somewhere else, I would definitely pull in and get one of these Cuban cheeseburgers i think it was called on the menu look for yourself at their menu they're very active on social media so you can follow them there and uh it was uh, it, it was called the grand opening but they've been parked down there doing business since last october so i guess a big build up to this grand opening and it was uh somehow produced by shay brown and so there was shay and it was of course a big to do with a live musician and quite quite the party uh balloons and everything everywhere and uh we lucho and i we ate a lot but i didn't go hog wild i ate like half of the burger or did i eat the whole burger now i can't even remember i think i ate that whole burger <laughs> so maybe i did go hog wild um and everything was great everything i'm not even i got to admit i'm not even the biggest fan of cuban sandwiches <clears throat> i just am not I always think they need mustard or sauerkraut or something. Just, I know, throw rocks and stones at me. Um, rocks and stones are the same thing. Throw sticks and stones at me or cans. 
tomato soup cans but uh whatever um i'm just not the biggest fan of the sandwich as a thing but these were both really good and i enjoyed them and i ate some brought the rest home and when i reheated it i put mustard on it all right out stop throwing things at me everybody um so that was that that was great recommend and then we went to something called uh, it was a pop-up at dissolver um brewery one of the lesser known breweries but it's down on north lexington avenue it's got a real sort of hippie vibe to it uh it's a really cool space and all of the brewery equipment is right there and uh it's a lot of fun for the drinkers and they have a patio space where they can do pop-ups and they do a lot of pop-ups there i've been to a couple and this was one by some folks who do something called their thing is called master barbecue a Asheville master barbecue Asheville sounds very generic, but it's kind of anything, but it is for one thing you're going to want to take note because it is grilled things on a stick. And I know that everybody loves grilled things on a stick because when I asked on my Asheville food truck group, the thing that Asheville most needed, the food truck Asheville most wanted or needed, grilled things on a stick won the competition. And so here you go, Asheville. Here's somebody doing a pop-up. It's Filipino food. The folks are Filipino-Americans, and they are doing grilled stuff on a stick plus rice bowls with stuff on top of it, a lot of delicious-looking stuff, some lumpia uh, that was really, really good. The lumpia is almost like an egg roll. Um, look it up. And uh, it was tasty as all get out. Everything was. I got a grilled chicken skewer and or stick and a grilled uh, pork stick and and the lumpia and it was all great and the folks are just as nice as can be very friendly very into what they're doing and they want to talk to Asheville about it they're new to town they moved here in order to actually like contribute to the uh, diverse fabric of our international food scene they heard through the grapevine that there was room for Filipino food here in Asheville. And I agree. I love grilled things on a stick. And the best I've had has been these Filipino street carts that you find. I found one up in uh, Juneau, Alaska, that was a Filipino guy. And he lived in Juneau and he was making grilled stuff on a stick and it was great. And one of the things he had on a stick was a grilled banana on a stick. And I didn't see that with Master Barbecue but I will look a little harder next time. And if I still don't see it, I'll ask. But so there you go, Asheville. You wanted grilled barbecue. You wanted grilled things on a stick. You got it. And Dissolver, thank you for having these pop-ups. People, look all this stuff up online on your social media, and you'll be able to follow what's up. All right, everybody, that's the end of the show. Thanks for all my guests for being on. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to W. 
PVM 103.7, the progressive voice of the mountains in here in beautiful, gorgeous. Today was a gorgeous day here in Western North Carolina in the city of Asheville. And uh, please follow me on social media, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Substack. You can find me at Stuhelm Food Fan. And if you eat something good, please find me on social media and use one of the comment sections to let me know about it. I'm always interested in hearing what it is you find out there because I'm just one person. I can't be everywhere. I can't eat everything, but I at least want to know about as much things as I can and try to get to them as get to as many of them as I can. All right. Once again, thanks for listening. This episode of the Food Fans Radio Show was underwritten in part by Asheville Food Tours. Did you know that there are over 200 places to eat and drink in downtown Asheville alone? It can be overwhelming. Whether you're a visitor or a local, there's no better way to experience downtown Asheville than taking a food tour with Asheville Food Tours. Details, pricing, and an easy-to-use calendar can be found at AshevilleFoodTours.com. That's AshevilleFoodTours.com.